It's so good having you online with us today. It's time for Word for the Week, so let's open our hearts and our Bibles. Let's go. How's everybody doing then? 2023, how's everyone doing? Good. I like it. A sense of optimism in the room. That's so good. Um, I'm excited to be together with you guys today. So good just to worship together. I missed it over the last couple of weeks, even though we've had pockets of prayer gatherings and stuff, just to be the collective of Sunny Hill together in this moment. Who's ready to receive from the Lord this morning? Who's up for that? Who's ready for a fresh word? Hopefully. Um, You know, this week, kind of leading into Sunday, um, in my mind, there's been this thought of, oh no, what happens if this doesn't work? That doesn't work. Uh, what happens if things are broken out there and people don't come to me to try and fix where they would have used to have gone to Richard? And um, so the good news is we've managed to uh, keep Richard on for a little bit longer. He's, he's just out the back here. Do you want me to go and get him? All right, right there. Okay, guys, talk about yourself. I'm just going to talk to Richard just for a minute. All right, Richard, they want to see you, mate. Okay, yeah, you, you ready? You ready to drop some wisdom in there? Uh, yes, sure, mate. <laughs> I, I'm ready, mate. <laughs> okay, not sure you sound like that, Richard. Has something happened to you over the Christmas holidays? Yes, mate. What? <laughs> What's that, mate? Right, Richard, just get through there and just... Uh... Good morning, Sonny Hill. <laughs> we're doing a Christmas campaign, Sonny Hill, and we've got to raise a thousand blankets, Sonny Hill. If this is your first time to Sunny Hill, welcome. <laughs> it's good to have you with us. It's weird having hairs in my mouth like that. That's gross. So this was one of my favorite Christmas presents, I've got to say. Is that right? Like that. This is one of my favorite Christmas presents. My mother-in-law bought me this for Christmas. She says, I know you're going to miss Richard this year, so I thought you can just put this on and look in the mirror at any given point. So I, I wore it around Christmas Day, and I was going, hey... Oh, Richard's in the house. So this is going to come out from time to time. I'm not going to wear it today, but I did enjoy it. Uh, who's going, oh, like, I think a bizard, a, a bizard, a beard, a bizard works for me. I can't even say the thing. Right, anyways, we're in a new series today over the next seven weeks called New Year's Revolution. And you'll see that the S is neatly blotted out and replaced with a V because typically when we come into New Year, we uh, have aspirations, we have intentions, we have desires, things that we want to achieve. Uh, We set ourselves goals, fitness goals, exercise goals, weight loss goals, relational goals, habits that we want to start, habits that we want to break. Uh, If you're willing to be honest just for a moment, put your hand up if you have set some resolutions this year. Uh, not, not many. You can put them higher than that. You don't need, to be, don't need to be scared. Mags, are you willing to share one of yours? Get the carpet on the stairs sorted. I mean, does that count as a resolution? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. I, I was expecting something a bit more ambitious than just getting a... I mean, it's cool. I'm, I'm pleased for your hallway, but um, I'm getting little black hairs coming out of my mouth, and it's not nice at all. Um, Caleb, can you make me a drink of water, please? Oh, there's some here, great. The problem is it's a catch-22 because now I have to swallow them. Yeah, it's gross. Horrible. I don't know why he had a beard. I always tried to get him to cut it off, but he was never game. I thought he looked like something out of um, Warhammer or Lord of the Rings or something. But um, Okay, anyone else got any different New Year's resolutions other than interior de- design? 
Yes. Cut down on chocolate, sweets, and chocolate. I need to do that. I was doing quite well. Then Dece December came, and December's never a good time to try and hold to that habit, is it? Anyone else got any uh, good goals? What's that? Get closer to God. Oh, man, she's way more spiritual than you other guys in here. I tell you what. I thought at first she said, learn to drive. And I'm, not, I'm sure I've seen you drive, but you mean you've got your license, but now you actually want to learn to drive, like, for the sake of people. Okay, get closer to God. What a great resolution. Any others before we move on? Andy and Beth, you've got a massive one, haven't you? Yeah. I want to lose about three kilos. <laughs> <laughs> three kilos by when? Two weeks. Two weeks. Oh. Oh, my gosh. Actually, Beth, stand up where you are. Andy, stand with her. Let's pray for them. They are due a baby. And... Um, Actually, you know what? We're going to pray that that resolution comes to pass. And I just believe by faith that God is going to do it, Beth, for you. And Andy as well. Okay. Fair enough. It's hard when a bloke gets kind of hoodwinked into a resolution as well on behalf of his wife. Let's just uh, extend our hands here. They're due a baby in the next couple of weeks. We're just going to pray God's blessing on them as they prepare for uh, the baby's arrival. You don't know if it's a boy or a girl, do you? No. A lucky dip. Definitely one or the other. Definitely. Not probably, Beth. Definitely. Okay, so let's just pray blessing. Father God, thank you for this family. God, Father, thank you for the gift of this child. God, we just pray your blessing on the pink household, uh, especially over the next few weeks as they make big changes as this baby comes into the world, Lord. I thank you, Father, that even whilst you've been forming this baby, God, you've been, um, you've been ingraining purpose into this baby's code. And that, Lord, even before this baby takes its own breath, um, outside of Beth, Lord, I thank you, Father, that you, you knew this child intimately, just like Jesus knowing John the Baptist together in the womb, Lord. And Father, I thank you, God, that there's already a destiny on this child. And Father, I just pray your blessing on this family. I pray that you would protect them. I pray that you provide for them. And that, Father, in the coming weeks, they'll bring a beautiful baby and we'll get to meet this little pink together. In Jesus' name, amen. Give them a round of applause. Awesome. So different resolutions, uh, just to encourage you, I read a great article this week that said that 97% of resolutions fail by the third week of January. Who's encouraged by that? So typically, you know, if you don't want to eat chocolates or sweets or, or maybe you've got a, a more of a spiritual goal, maybe you want to read the Bible every day. 97%, uh, and it's quite a, a broad uh, research that's gone into this. They reckon 97% of um, resolutions falter by the third week of January. And I've been looking into this just a little bit uh, because there's something that exists psychologically called the cycle of failure. And um, are you ready to hear what the cycle of failure is? Hopefully this is going to equip you a little bit. Is you try, then, then what do you think happens? You fail. Okay. You try, you fail. And then what follows failure? Anyone know? Someone said it, S-word. Sh shame. So you try, you fail, and then you experience shame. Okay, now this isn't a Christian kind of um, hypothesis, but I do think there's something interesting about this for Christians because typically when you commit to some big spiritual goals and you falter, the enemy wants to load you up with shame as soon as possible. Because what shame does is it disempowers you. Shame actually, um, it discourages you. It robs you of courage and tenacity. And what we see actually in this cycle is, so you try again, and you fail again, and then what do you think the feeling is the next time you fail? 
begins with G. Guilt. So it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because uh, Satan's two primary tactics, I think, in a believer's life is shame and guilt. Okay, so you try, you fail. Oh, I'm now in shame. So I'm going to try again and I fail again. Oh, now I'm in guilt. And then you resolve the guilt and then you fail again. It's great being a human, isn't it? It's wonderful, isn't it? And so the next time, after you fail for the third time, typically then what you decide is I won't bother trying, which leads to the final landing spot of this cycle of failure, which is I'll settle. So we try, we fail, then there's shame. We try the fail, then there's guilt. We resolve the guilt, and then we fall again, and then we don't bother trying, and then we end up settling. Maybe until 2024, where then we try again after a little sabbatical from effort. And really, essentially, what I want to do over the next few weeks is I want to try and journey you into a place into how can you know victory in your life? How can you know a, a supernatural empowerment? Because we're believers in Christ, and we believe that there is a supernatural edge to this life. In fact, it's more than an edge. It's everything. So you don't just have to work as hard as you can in your own strength. There's an added uh, provision of God, the Holy Spirit, that wants to draw alongside you and help you to smash it for him and for each other's benefit. Um, and so uh, today, I, I don't want to add to your sense of creating lists of do's or don'ts, um, because it's much bigger than that. It's actually much deeper than that. And as I was praying before the new year was coming about, about uh, mid-November time, I felt God saying, Is you, you, need to, you need to live a revolutionary lifestyle. You need to live by the law of revolution rather than the ambition of resolution. There's a subtle difference. Resolution is born of the head. Revolution is born of the heart. So resolution is about your, your ability to think, right, and go, I'm, I think I want to do this. But revolution is when you feel so burdened and impassioned about something, you don't really have to tell yourself to do it because you're naturally drawn to follow the way your heart is leading. Does that make sense? So it's much deeper than just, you know, bolster your mind. It's deeper than that. It's actually, let's really get a hold of our heart. Okay, and I'm going to talk about that this morning. So what is a revolution? I have got an explanation from the dictionary here, which just helps us for a minute. A revolution is a forcible overthrow of a government or social order in favor of a new system. So that's what revolution defined is. A forcible overthrow of a government or social order in favor of a new system. Now, obviously, I'm not talking about um, going to Westminster and trying to overthrow Rishi or, um, you know, going to the pubs in Dorset and trying to force a different culture. There is a part of revival lifestyle that leads to that, but actually it doesn't start there. What I'm talking about is actually bringing a change to your system actually committing revolution on your own soul. A revolution is about bringing change to a system. There's a famous revolutionary. Her name is uh, Dorothy Day. There's a picture of her up here in her later life. Um, and when I was reading about her at first in one of the books I've been listening to on Audible, um, what was really interesting is I thought, for, for, until I got a picture up, I thought um, they were talking about Doris Day. Does anyone remember Doris Day, that old actress? Whip, crack away, whip, crack away. <laughs> Calamity Jane, isn't it? I, I always get the lyrics wrong. Do you know that song or am I just talking nonsense? Because what my brothers used to sing was whip, crack away, whip, crack away, whip, Doris Day. <laughs> Brutal. Um, but this is not Doris Day, this is Dorothy Day. 
famous revolutionary, born in 1897 in Brooklyn, New York. She grew up in San Francisco. She survived the great earthquake in 1906, which decimated 80% of the city, one of the most horrific natural uh, disasters in America's history. She was a radical thinker, and she became a journalist. She was a prolific writer. She didn't align wholly to the left, but she definitely didn't align to the right, so she was more bought into the liberal socialist agenda. She was a free thinker, and her thinking led her to champion mostly a very liberal agenda. She was arrested with the suffragettes in Washington and went to prison. The suffragettes obviously championing the cause of women in what otherwise was a very male-dominated patriarchal society. And she was so violent and aggressive in her protest that she ended up in prison. She wrote radical journals, interviewed well-known revolutionaries to try and mobilize a cause. She was a mover and shaker. She wanted to bring change through aggression and violence. She was also, I didn't get these words off wiki, she, she was also a bit of a hussy, okay? So she was a bit of a player. Um, she got pregnant a few times, had quite a few abortions because for her, life was all about number one. It was about her and it was about the agenda of the socialists, okay? Um, however, in due course, during the Great Recession, the well-known recession during this era, she came to faith in Jesus. And everything changed for her, quite literally, overnight. It's interesting, all that energy she employed to bring anarchy to society now got refocused towards helping the least, the last, and the lost. She set up something like a ministry work that's called, and still goes today, Works of Mercy, where there were houses of hospitality. She would feed people, she would clothe people. And um, it's one of the, um, during this era, one of the fastest growing movements across America. And it was all rooted through uh, gospel truth, all rooted through the fruit of the Spirit. It wasn't about no longer trying to bring anarchy to a society. It was trying to bring change to a society through living out gospel, okay? Um, her main objectives were these, to feed the hungry, to give drink to the thirsty, to clothe the naked, to ransom the captive, to harbor the harborless, to visit the sick, and to bury the dead. She wanted to give dignity to not just those people who were alive, but those who had also died. Wanting to make sure that people were remembered. Um, during this era, when loads of people would die, they would just be left on the street side, and no one would take responsibility, um, and many people just faded out of existence during the recession. But she wanted to bring a change to that. So why do I tell you this? For most of her life, she sought to bring revolution through physical acts of defiance. By causing anarchy, she hoped to disrupt the system and see her socialist agenda advance. However, what she actually learned was that the biggest change that was needed was not out there. It was actually in here. In fact, you could even say you can't change out there until you've been changed in here. Towards the end of her life, this is one of her most famous quotes. She used to speak a lot. She said, the greatest challenge of the day is how to bring about a revolution of the heart. A revolution which has to start with each one of us. See, resolution is born of the head. Revelation flows. Revolution flows from the heart. Solomon 
jumping into our scriptures now, the most wise human after Jesus who ever walked the face of the planet in the Old Testament, said to be the wisest man who ever lived, said these words in Proverbs 4.23. He was wealthy, he had lots of women, um, he had it made, he was successful. Um, but in verse 23, this is one of his observations. He says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. it. It's interesting that as a society in 2023, we are really caught up with bringing security to our life, um, securing our homes, securing our cars. You know, some of us even secure our kids. We don't want them to have iPhones, but we let them have iPhones just so we can see where they are on the map at any given moment. Find my iChild, please, Apple. They even do now little 3G devices, I think, called Tab Tags, is it, or something like that? Um, ties? Tiles. Tiles. Oh, tiles. There we go. 3G tiles, like where parents, and I've, I've actually seen this happen, um, a tile is sewn into the jacket of a kid or into the, like, some concealed area of a coat, just so that any given point, you can see, right, where's that little monkey now? Okay, right. <laughs> just a, okay, right, he's just on the train to London. Great. Excellent. <laughs> Traveling at lightning speed away from home. Nothing to worry about here. Now, obviously, our children, we, we want to protect and safeguard. But our phones even, our social media devices, now like two-factor um, authentication codes coming in, face IDs, because we recognize, we recognize the need for security. Yet, ironically, Solomon says, above all else, you've got to guard your heart. You've got to bring security to your heart. And it's crazy, isn't it? Because we, we put face IDs on our phone, we create some crazy... Um, <laughs> we create some crazy passwords for our devices. Just move on, Dom. We create some crazy device, um, passwords for our devices, yet the whole time we leave our hearts vulnerable. We leave our hearts vulnerable to being trampled on by people, to being governed by our insecurities, um, to allow setbacks to really discourage us in our hearts, um, to allow society and culture determine the mold and shape of our heart. And Solomon says, no, you have to, above everything else, guard your heart. Because everything flows from your heart. The way you think ultimately originates in the heart. Now, when we're talking about the heart biblically, we're not so much talking about our physical organ, although you should also look after it. It's really to do with the seat of our emotions, it's to do with the way we feel and we think. And, and so often, life is like a, a tail wagging a dog. We allow life to determine the way we feel. And the way we feel then produces the way we think. And then the way we think produces the way we behave. However, if we guard our hearts, we begin to do something slightly different now. We begin to understand that to guard our heart, we have to ensure that it is not... Um, subservient to the ethos of others or the world around us, but that it is submitted to God's heart. It's really crucial we understand that. So let me just say this. You want to shift things in your life, you need your heart to be shifted. You want to see long-term change in your life, you need to see heart change. Now, good news is this. This is not something you muster. I need you to hear that. Because the religious spirit will want to take it as a works-driven message, and it's not that. This is not something you muster. It's something you receive. And if you've received it, it's something you recognize and release. Does that make sense? Let's just journey in the scripture a little bit. We sung this morning intentionally, New Start. You've given me a new heart. 
You've given me a new heart. Look at Ezekiel for a moment. Turn to Ezekiel 11, verse 19 to 20. I love this prophet so much so that our youngest son is called Zeke, short for Ezekiel. And we read in Ezekiel 11, verse 19 to 20, God saying this about a future reality that is yet to come. Ezekiel is prophesying something that has not yet happened. Listen. God saying to the people of God, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. And he says, I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. In verse 20, then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Now, let me just say that our religious spirit, and when I say that, I mean everything within us wants to clamber towards work and effort. And what we typically do is we reverse subconsciously those verses. So let me reread them the way that often we feel them. I will follow the decrees and be careful to keep God's... No, if I follow God's decrees and be, to care, be careful to keep his laws, then I'll be his people. Then he'll be my God. Verse 19, please. And he will give me an undivided heart. An undivided heart will flow from a commitment and devotion to adherence to the law. Am I making sense to you? Hopefully you're tracking with this, because it is quite revolutionary. But if we understand that what God says, I will give you a new heart, I will take away the heart of stone, I'll give you a heart of flesh, and then you will follow my decrees, then you will seek my heart, then you will be my people, and I will be your God. The initiative here clearly lies on God, not on you. Exactly. Supernatural. Yes, you play a role. Yes, your behavior should be affected. Your behavior should be changed. But it doesn't flow from the head of resolve. It flows from the revolution of the heart. A shift, an overthrowing of the system. Something, listen to this, that happened... Everyone who calls Jesus their saviour, everyone who's a Christian in this room, something that happened and was settled already 2,000 years ago. That when you gave your life to Christ, your heart was new. God put his spirit in you and he took away the heart of stone and he gave you a heart of flesh. Now, now you may say to me, yeah, but Dom, I still feel like my heart's, my heart's hard. And I want to say, yes, that's because you haven't heard this message yet. Because typically what happens is our flesh competes with the Spirit of God. And in our carnal nature, what we want to do is we almost want to revert to the fallen type. But the problem is, is when you give your life to Christ, you're no longer a sinner. You're a saint. You're no longer who's sinner, a sinner who gets it right now and again. You're a saint who fails now and again. You're redeemed by the blood of Christ. It is not cheap. Your redemption was not bought with just the normal average Joe's blood. It was bought with the blood of Christ. Which means it's done, it's settled, it's sealed. So even your failure you can shake off. Why? Because it doesn't negate the reality, the gospel truth that God has given you a new heart. That's why we jump to the song New Start. You give me a new start. I'm a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Let's go. Oh, 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 oh. 
Something profound. I mean, Ezekiel really gets transfixed on this. And even just a few uh, chapters later, Ezekiel 36, God says again, just to remind the people, just in case they forgot, listen, I will give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. And I love this because it's this co-laboring relationship we have with God. But it's all dependent on his work. All my behaviors do is align to the work that he's already done in my life. I'm not trying to become a better human so that God loves me more. I'm not trying to kind of, I don't know, lose this weight, be a better person, get a promotion. Like, all of these things are noble. And we, you know, just, I don't want to undo these revolution classes because these are intentional. We are trying to equip you. We are trying to give you the tools to do better financially in this coming year. Amidst all of the global uncertainty, we want to give you tools to budget effectively so that you can, like, bless people, be generous, go on holiday. And so these courses, like the parenting course, like... We, we don't just want to leave it open to chance that your children turn away. We want you to be intentional as parents. How can I best set up my children for a walk with Jesus and a flourishing life of faith? Well, we want to give you the tools. So these resolutions aren't all bad. But let me just say this, that it all flows from the heart. It all flows from the reality that Jesus has already done the work. It's, it's not a shame message. It's not a guilt message. It's not a, come on, Dom, you've got to do better message. It's a, no, Dom, what you've got to do is you've got to believe and receive the grace that he has already given me. And allow that truth to actually undergird my 2023. Resolutions are cool. And they're great. Intentions are great. But actually, I'm all about the revolution. God, allow me to understand this change that has happened. What a thought. So, God speaks through the prophet Ezekiel, past tense, about something that will happen. Now, look at this. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. It's a bit awkward because it's in the message translation, so we're going to jump down to now. Now, we look inside. So, let me just say this. Ezekiel, for those of you who are quite new to church and the Bible, the prophet Ezekiel was speaking about a reality to come. Paul is now in the New Testament after Jesus speaking about a reality that is now in play. Okay, so this verse is really apt for us. He says this. Now we look inside and what we see is that anyone united with the Messiah, Jesus, gets a fresh start, is created new. The old life is gone. A new life emerges Paul says, look at it. <laughs> like, look at it. What a testimony. All this comes from the God who settled the relationship between us and him and then called us to settle our relationships with each other. God puts the world square with himself through Jesus, giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. Isn't this so good? Isn't this so a great way to start the year? Yeah. Message of grace. Message of faithfulness. Not a message of work harder, do better. A message of just receive what's already available. And can I just say, Jonathan Lurie, you're doing much better than Richard. You're tracking with me. I appreciate that, Jonathan. That's awesome. You are welcome here. God has given us the task of telling everyone what he is doing. We're Christ's representatives. 
God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences and enter into God's work of making things right between them. I want to jump down to chapter 6, verse 1 now. If you just go to the end of this reading, please, Jonathan. He says, friends, as we are in this work with you, we beg you, this bit's really important, okay? Please don't squander one bit of this marvelous life God has given us. So let me just try and frame that in a way that is consistent with the nail I'm trying to hit today. God is saying, or Paul is saying, right? And it's the inspired work of God. So God is saying, the old has gone, the new has come. Like this is the work of God. God has done it through his son, Jesus Christ. Now our job is as representatives, as ambassadors, to carry that message of reconciliation to those who don't know him yet because the news is too good to keep to ourselves. Yet here's the caveat and the challenge to our actions and behavior. But friends, as we are in this work with you, we beg you, don't squander one bit of this marvelous life God has given us. Don't waste it. The big idea is this, is that it's allowing the life of God to now flow in you through you, from you, and it's not about mustering a resolution, it's about living aligned to the revolution of the heart that Jesus has already settled for us. And I'm coming into land now. But I want you to go to Matthew, because Jesus does speak about this. It's interesting that in Matthew, if you turn there now, Matthew 6, we see Jesus uh, giving the Sermon on the Mount Matthew chapter 5, sorry. Giving the Sermon on the Mount. Now, what's significant about this sermon? Obviously, the content is incredible, and we're just going to have a whistle-stop tour of it just as we come into land. In fact, Matthew, do you want to come up on the keys, pal? Um, is that actually Jesus gives this message from the side of a mountain. Now, why is that significant? Well, one of the things we often miss when we read this portion of Scripture is that it was really common for revolutionaries to, if you like, inaugurate their cause off the side of a mountain. There's three benefits to launching causes off the side of the mountain. The first is this. You've got the acoustic advantage, you know, so it's more echoey, more reverb, okay? So as someone is shouting out, because they didn't have microphones and speakers back then, as they shout out, more people can hear. Also, you've got the visual advantage, where Jesus can be more raised up in a physical position so that people can see the person talking and hear the person talking. But the third reason is this, is the reason so many revolutions were started on the side of mountains was because typically the government and uh, society would, sh would strive to shut these messages down and break up crowds, and the mountains provided safe harbor for people committing revolution, where they could scarper into caves and all this sort of stuff. But let me just say this. Is I don't think Jesus had any intention of hiding or running away. Jesus, I believe, in this moment, if you like, is launching the kingdom manifesto. He's, he's speaking about a revolution that is going to occur. And what's interesting about this revolution, if you read the Sermon on the Mount, is it's not a doctrinal revolution. Jesus isn't saying, 
you know, Jesus gives plenty of parables and stories about the reality of who God is and what the kingdom's like. But in this moment, Jesus is uber practical, talking about behaviors and, and the way we live. Like, the Sermon on the Mount is just incredible. Like, if you look at verse 3, the opening line of Jesus' message is this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's so countercultural. It's so at odds with society. It's so in conflict with our flesh. Yet Jesus begins to preach this message. He says, blessed are those who mourn. Who feels blessed when they're mourning? Who feels blessed when they're grieving? But Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, because then they will be comforted. When you go through suffering and hardship, it gives you margin to experience the comfort of God. And Jesus is speaking these revolutionary ideas to a crowd. And it's not wasted, really, because when you read through, you see loads of things that he says. He talks about murder. Listen to this. This is crazy. He says about murder. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. What is Jesus referencing there? Old Testament law that he created with God in heaven, okay? He says, you've heard it said, don't murder. But then Jesus says this, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment as though they murdered. Like, this is crazy. Like, Jesus is saying that, like, you've heard it said that murder's bad. I'm telling you that hate is as bad as murder. Like, it's crazy. He goes on, like, you've heard it said that you, you should not commit adultery, but I'm telling you that even if you lust after another person, it's so you've committed adultery, where? In your heart. That there's something where Jesus on this mountainside is saying that, like, there's a, there's a new reality that's going to occur, and this, this grace and this, 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 I guess, kindness that he's going to offer does not diminish the bar. It does not lower the bar. What it does is it empowers us to live greater. It empowers us to live higher. So whereas before in the Old Testament, maybe we're grappling with the law. Shall I kill that person or shall I not kill that person? Well, the book says, don't kill the person. Okay, I won't kill the person. But now what Jesus is talking about is about the heart. What happens if you don't kill the person, but you walk away hating the person? Well, in the heart, that's like you've committed murder. And, and these are the things that speak to the emergence of the heart of stone. These violations of allowing the life of God and the truth of God's word to really saturate our existence. Because actually, as we draw closer to God, as we run harder after Jesus... These things don't become harder for us. They become easier for us because we're not motivated by a book that says do and don't. We're motivated by a heart that just says, Jesus, I want you. Jesus, what is your heart? And, and essentially, the goal of the Christian journey is to become more like Christ. Not to become more like Moses. To become more like Christ. To live in the reality and the truth of the gospel. And the gospel is this. That we are a new creation, the old has gone, the new has come. Jesus gives all this Sermon on the Mount. He talks about loving your enemies, revolutionary ideas. It's still controversial now. He speaks about worry and anxiety. He speaks about money and wealth, how you're to, to handle it, how you're to steward it. He talks about judging others. He talks about asking and seeking and knocking after God, like go for it. But then he concludes like this in chapter 7, verse 24. If you can get it on the screen, please, Jonathan. And with this, I am landing, I promise. I've got three and a half minutes. 
I'll get the band up as well, please. Uh, Jesus says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Uh, the word through Mags today really aligns with this. Verse 25, the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the, what was it? The rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. I'm concluding with this. Jesus says you can build on sand or you can build on rock. What do these things represent? Sand speaks about culture, shifting patterns of ethos, of life, of trends. What does my friend want me to be like? What does my mom and dad say about me? All of these things that are inclined to be broken at source because they've been established by people who are broken. Versus the rock who is Jesus and, and essentially says, oh, you build your life on the rock. And in this moment, what's interesting, you listening, boys? Yep. I hope you're listening. I'm going to test you after. Uh, I will. No food tonight, if you fail. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. But what's really interesting in this parable, Jesus says, the storm comes, the stream rises, the wind blows and beats against the house, and it either stands or it falls. Now, let me just say this about our life at the inception of 2023. Now, this is the first of many messages on this theme. So I will address it more as the weeks go on. But essentially, what we're saying is, there are things that come into our life that we cannot predetermine. There are circumstances that are outside of our control. There are storms that happen. There are winds that blow. There are water that rises. Hardships, difficulties, things that I am not responsible for. Elements that get thrown at me in life. And I cannot change the elements outside the house. All I can change is where the house is planted. All I can do is be responsible for the structure of the form I'm building. And essentially what Jesus is saying, listen, listen to these words. Embed these words in your life. Like ingrain them into your existence and allow the gospel truth to affect the way you behave, the way you think. Build your house on a rock. Build your house on Jesus. And when the storms come, when the water rises, it will stand. It will stand. And so today, as we prepare for a few of the sessions on this, we're going to look at different components of the Christian life. We're going to look at worship. We're going to look at the scriptures. We're going to look at the presence of God. We're going to look at prayer. We're going to look at faith. We're going to look at different components of the Christian faith. But right from the outset, what I want to say today is understand that it only works if you are rooted in Christ. It only works if you are living from a place of what Jesus has done for you. Not what you can do for Jesus, but what he has already done for you. Embracing that new creation identity. Embracing that new heart. Recognizing that this new heart was given to you when you gave your life to Christ. And that now all I've got to do is allow it to live through me. So we want a revolution. 
but I called this message, The Revolution Has Begun. I started with the title, The Revolution Begins, but I realized, actually, it's already begun. It began on the cross 2,000 years ago. And now, all it's about is us recognizing that Jesus has given us a new heart and living from that place of receipt and acceptance that I am forgiven, that I am free, that I'm a son of God, or that I'm a daughter of God, and are now living my life in such a way that is consistent with that truth and that reality, not trying to work hard to muster the performance in order to impress God and receive his mercy and grace. It's, it's such a significant thing. We don't want to settle for resolutions. We want to work from revolution. Let's pray together this morning. Father, this morning, Lord, I pray for myself and my brothers and sisters in the room. Lord, I pray, God, that we would get that revolutionary idea. Lord, that we would receive that seed of revelation that helps us understand that you've already done it. God, that we don't have to rally ourselves and muster strength and try our best in order to receive your grace. No, we receive your grace and it empowers us to go after it. God, I pray, Father, Lord, that Sunny Hill in 2023 would be a grace church, that we would be a church, Lord, that, that is obsessed with your grace and your kindness, Lord. That, Father, we would be done with just trying to be ambitious for the kingdom on our own strength, but Lord, Father, that our ambition for the kingdom, our ambition, Father, would flow from a heart that has been transformed. Jesus, that we would fully embrace who we are in you, God, that over the course of 2023, that clear picture of our identity in Christ, Lord, would become ever so clearer. And Father, the distraction and noises of the world that tries to conform us to its pattern, that endeavors to try to discourage us, to disempower us. Lord, I pray, Father, Lord, that over the course of the next 12 months, Lord, Father, that we would see a growth in this body, that we would see a growth in this fellowship, and that, Lord God, more and more people that call Sunny Hill home would become secure in who they are in you. Father, I just come against the spirit of discouragement, Lord. I just break it off in Jesus' name. For those people this morning who are feeling flattened by life, Father, Lord, I just, I just break off that spirit of discouragement and disappointment in Jesus' name. And I just pray, Father, for your spirit of joy to just infect and manifest, Lord, in the life of the people of Sunny Hill. God, I pray, Father, that this time next year when we launch into the new series for 2024, God, that, God, we would have learned so much about who we are in you, Lord God, that, Father, 
insignificant, trivial matters, Father, would fall by the wayside now, God. And we would just get a focus and, and a picture of who Jesus is, a better vision of who you are, Lord. And that, God, we would operate from a place of security, not insecurity. That we would operate from a place of confidence, not concern and anxiety. Lord, right now even, Father, at the inception of this year, Lord, I just pray for people who are, who are carrying anxious spirits, who are carrying um, fear, Lord, just fear of life and fear of man. Father, I pray, God, that you would make them over the course of 2023 as bold as lions, Lord. I pray, Father, for a strength to emerge, Lord, that flows from a heart that has been transformed. God, I thank you this morning. Our starting block is grace and not work. Lord, Father, I thank you, God, that now we are capable and able to do good works because we have faith in the finished work of the cross, Lord. And so, God, I do pray, Father, that our behaviors would be shifted over the coming weeks. But, Lord, I pray today, Father, that you would just insert and sow this seed of revolution in our hearts to understand that the revolution isn't something we have to make happen. It's already happened. And now all we have to do is conform and align to the work you've already done. So Father God, I thank you for your kindness. I thank you for your goodness. And I just pray your blessing on us this Sunday as we launch into 2023 with this idea of a New Year's revolution. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Stand to your feet. Stand to your feet.